It was the audio leak that created a political earthquake in Los Angeles. It resulted in protests. Calls for a resignation. You know, I think they're all spineless and we need to see some resignations soon. And a city reckoning over racism at the highest levels of local politics. The fact that you are trying to continue with business as usual is unacceptable. Unacceptable. But the controversy has also created a political opening that could fundamentally change the makeup of L.A. City Council. With midterms just weeks away, what happens next? I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the L.A. Times. It's Wednesday, October 26, 2022. Today, as part of our special coverage of the 2022 midterm elections, we talk about the most important but often overlooked races in our democracy, the city council. No city's council has gotten more attention nationally over the last couple of weeks in Los Angeles, But long before the racist comments by former and current council members caught on tape went nationwide, it was already a cautionary tale of local governance run amok. We'll talk about that today, and we'll also hear from residents of Los Angeles from a special town hall hosted by the LA Times and Fox 11 News. This is the call for change, live on Fox 11. All right, so we're going to ask the same question to all of you. Are you guys shocked that Kevin DeLeon refuses to step down? No, no, no. Absolutely characteristic of someone that's a narcissist. Julia Wick and David Zonizer are my L.A. Times colleagues. David covers City Hall. Julia does the same, but is also focusing on the mayor's race. Both of ustedes, welcome to the Times. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Julia, you and David and I and so many of our colleagues have been covering this story nonstop. So we can sometimes assume everyone knows the story, but... Just quickly sum up for those who maybe don't know, and even the folks who do, what the controversy over this racist leaked audio is all about. So the nutshell is that about a year ago in October 2021, some of the most powerful people in L.A. politics had a closed door conversation that was ostensibly about the city's once every decade redistricting process. The then city council president, Nuri Martinez, was in the conversation, as was the then head of the county Fed, a very powerful labor organization, and two other city council members, Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo. During the course of this more than hour-long conversation, they did speak about redistricting in a lot of kind of naked political scheming terms. But if you you push a whack map, you're going to end up with a disaster on the council. They also, there were racist and derogatory remarks made about kind of a rainbow coalition of groups. They managed to offend almost everyone in the city. And I think some of the most incendiary comments that were made came from then city council president Martinez, who spoke in very racist terms about a white council member's young black son. And that, I think, is part of what really set the fire going in the city. What have each of you been hearing from the public in response to the leak? Shock, disgust, anger, deep pain. I feel like hurt about like hearing those comments, especially because I'm empowering like community in K-Town, in West Lake LA and Pico Union. 
And that's the one where Jill was representing. It's kind of run the gamut in that sense. There's been a huge amount of public outrage and we've seen a lot of that outrage turn towards demands for resignations as well. And they need to step down immediately because every day that they are in office is another racist attack, is another anti-black attack, another anti-gay, anti-child, anti-adoption, anti-Armenian. And that's their legacy now, that they're serial racist and it's time for them to go. I would just throw in, I hear a lot of despair. As an indigenous person myself, there's a need for, for grieving and then atonement, making, uh, making things right for the people that have been harmed. I think prior to the audio, there was a perception that the city is just not capable of fixing problems. And I don't think this was encouraging evidence to make them feel better about it. This story has gotten all sorts of national attention. I was just in Mississippi, and even they knew what was going on in L.A. with the leaked tapes. That's how far the story has gone. But, David, what usually doesn't get mentioned nationally is that this is hardly the only scandal going on with L.A. City Hall in recent years. So what's the one-and-a-half-minute version of that? Well, I mean, we just have had a number of corruption cases. So first you have Mitch Englander. He's now off the city council, but he pleaded guilty in an obstruction case. Then you have Jose Huizar, also now off the council. He's been charged with bribery and racketeering. And then you have Mark Ridley Thomas, another councilman who is sort of in limbo because he's suspended and therefore not able to participate. He's awaiting trial in a bribery case, which stemmed from his days as an L.A. County supervisor. I should point out, both Weezar and Ridley Thomas have pleaded not guilty, and their fate is not resolved. But, I mean, the accumulation, all these cases, makes City Hall look terrible. And it looks even worse when you've seen guilty pleas from a lobbyist, a real estate consultant, a Weezar aide, even Weezar's brother. Julia, is there anything about how the city council operates in Los Angeles that also might create some of these issues? There's certain things that have been posited as potentially areas for reform, but I also kind of want to make clear that it's not like these things necessarily spark this corruption. One thing that's been brought up specifically in the wake of the leak, two of the main pushes have been A, to increase the number of city council districts in Los Angeles. Right now we have 15 districts and each represents about a quarter of a million people. The city of New York, whose population is roughly a little more than double the city of L.A., they have 51 council districts. So there's been kind of worry that this small number of councilors and large districts give people too much concentrated power. And then another kind of issue that's come up is that some people want to reform the redistricting process. Right now, it's not an independent commission that draws the lines in L.A., City council members get to each appoint someone who essentially kind of, to put it in very bold terms, does their bidding on the redistricting commission. And so there's been a big push in recent weeks to make that process independent. And I should also say both of those pushes have been things that have been discussed for a very long time, but they've gotten a lot of new energy post-leak. Well, just the thing you have to understand about the recording is, you know, as much as race was discussed, it's really about people looking to preserve their own power. You know, by ensuring that they had districts that would get themselves and their allies reelected. And in some cases, they discussed sort of their adversaries not getting as nice a district. And that preservation of power is what permeates the entire audio. Absolutely. 
Coming up after the break, how the next generation of city council candidates could become a problem for the current establishment. We know that Nuri Martinez, the former L.A. City Council president, she resigned from the council. And there's large calls for uh, Kevin DeLeon and Gil Cedillo, the other council members in the tape, to step down. But they haven't. Julia, can the council simply remove DeLeon and Cedillo? No, there does not appear to be any legal mechanism for them to remove fellow council members, which, by the way, is probably a good thing because we don't really want a situation where there's one unpopular council member and the rest of the group can kind of just vote to get them off. But it does create some problems right now. And they've been stripped of their committee assignments, by the way, most of their committee assignments, but um, they're still on council. We do have provisions in the city charter to suspend a council member, but it's only when criminal charges are pending. Cedillo lost his reelection bid in June to a challenger named a. Eunices Hernandez. And so he is already will be out in December because of that. So there's really very little to happen in between now and then. However, De Leon, his term extends until 2024. And so really the only way short of him resigning for him to leave before then would be if there was a successful recall attempt to recall him from office. Yeah, that would be hard because De Leon has a lot of political power. He was the former head of the California State Senate and a former assembly member, but David, if De Leon stays on the council, what would be the repercussions of that? Well, I think it depends on how successful his redemption tour goes. I mean, he's basically embarked on a sort of publicity blitz where he's talking to a number of different TV hosts, radio interviewers, and he has about as steep a hill as I can think of to climb to get back into the public's graces. People have short memories in L.A. on all sorts of political things, and I think we're going to have to see if he's able to somehow edge his way back into the civic society. And for the record, he has not yet spoken to the LA Times, right? Not to me. That is accurate. <laughs> not to any of us. So David and Julia, all these scandals, federal indictments, corruption allegations, racist tapes, they happen as LA faces huge issues like the economy, housing, homelessness, but with no real consensus from the city council on what the answers should be. And residents have not forgotten about that. Why can't you just provide housing? Right. You want to keep Speaker. people safe? You want to keep Speaker. our children safe? Speaker. Give us housing. Speaker, so that, that was obviously general. Speaker. The expansion of 4118. So even before the leak, the midterms were shaping up to be a referendum of sorts on how the council would approach problems in the city. David, how does the leak change their approach? I think what's happening in the short term is really they're about style. I mean, I think that there will be some policy shifts, but really the most immediate thing you could see was how the meetings are actually conducted. So, for example, Nuri Martinez, she was the council president. Her style was like hammer. So she was very strict about having public comment limited to 30 minutes. That's all you got. You're done. Since the audio became public, they've allowed every commenter to have their say. Good morning. There are a, there are a lot of people here that need to be heard today. A lot of people have come to this chambers because they need to be heard. The testimony, it's like gone on for hours. This whole thing is racist. The fact that they had the audacity to sit here in front of the people that they mocked, that they minimized, that they demonized, that they marginalized 
is unacceptable. So this week, the council is going to move to a sort of hybrid format for public testimony, where they're going to allow both in-person comment and people to call in, something Nuri did not allow. So you can see there's kind of this sort of like glasnost almost in terms of their interactions with the public that I find really interesting. And I think we're going to see some policy things come down the pike, sort of the most immediate reaction to how they do business. And Julia, how does the leak shift the makeup of the city council. You mentioned earlier that Cedillo already lost to Inés Hernández, who's more progressive. How are the other council races shaping up? The first thing to kind of know is there's the immediate question of what does the leak do in the last month of the election? But the broader kind of phenomenon to be watching is a progressive movement that has been building power in LA for several years. Hernández's victory in June absolutely spoke to that, as did Councilmember Nithya Raman's victory in 2020 when she ousted an incumbent. That's two incumbents ousted in two years. In the past, ousting a city hall incumbent was something that was seen as not impossible, but pretty close to it, really hard to do. And so right now we're looking at a moment where all of the energy around the leak and anger at the establishment could potentially be a pretty real boon to these progressive candidates. Speaking of that, there was another audio tape leaked, the former L.A. County Federation of Labor president, Ron Herrera. And here he's talking about one of those progressive candidates, Hugo Soto Martinez. He's a longtime activist and labor union organizer who's running against incumbent Mitch O'Farrell. I want to make sure that we protect Mitch. Allies. Because this guy is, this guy is your opponent. He's talking about what? The one I know and the one I don't know. Yes. I think another thing about Herrera's remarks is that in this race in the Hollywood district, Mitch O'Farrell has been very pro-cop. He's talked about wanting to hire more police officers. His opponent, Hugo Soto Martinez, has talked about fewer cops and diverting money away from the police department. And the thing you need to know about Ron Herrera is he's a teamster. And teamsters themselves, they represent cops. So it's not a complete surprise to me that he would feel sort of some affinity for Mitch O'Farrell in this particular race. So this is a trip to me because the people in the racist tape, they're getting criticized for trying to consolidate, quote, Latino power at the expense of black representation. Here you have Herrera trashing a Latino candidate. David, what's up with that? Well, I think part of what you hear is this sort of wait your turn view, which really goes back decades, right? The other thing I want to just point out is like, again, these redistricting maps were about protecting their own power. They were trying to protect their own districts from losing assets. When you look at the actual final maps, the districts that were represented by black politicians, they're almost unchanged. So what they did do was they helped themselves and they helped their allies. And at that point, Mitchell Farrell was one of them. And now this push by Martinez and her allies to get more Latino political power on the council is basically squashed by themselves. She's out, Cedillo's leaving, De Leon is persona non grata, especially by his fellow council members. Well, Councilman Marquise, you come to this from a different perspective, of course. You did have sort of a tense conversation you described earlier in that first meeting with Kevin De Leon when he showed up. If he does, and it sounds like he plans to show up, what would you say to him? You know, I'm pretty much done talking to Mr. DeLeon for now. I think if he shows up, there's going to be a problem on the council floor. Uh, I hope that he doesn't show up. It's all pretty thorny. So the first thing to know is that Latinos are underrepresented in L.A. politics. And 
beyond the ugly racism we're hearing on tape, that's also a undercurrent that's very real. Latinos account for about half of the city population and make up just over a hair of a quarter of the council. Now, in terms of what's happening immediately in the wake of the leak, I'm not sure anything happens to Latino power in the short term. And then the number of Latino council members could also potentially grow after the November election if either Hugo Soto Martinez or Danielle Sandoval win their respective races. Now, the quick caveat on special elections is that De Leon, who again has said he is not resigning, if for some reason he were to change his mind or he's recalled, his is a seat which includes parts of the east side and downtown where potentially a non-Latino candidate could win. And then the third thing to know is that Latino power, much like union power in L.A., is not monolithic. There is a very specific kind of Latino power being discussed on that tape. It's entrenched establishment power that also is sort of synonymous with the personal power of the people who are talking. So, for instance, let's say Hugo wins. He would not have been an ally to Martinez and the other council members she's talking to on the tape. He's much further to the left. And his kind of closest allies on council, besides for Hernandez, again, this is if Soto Martinez were to win, are not Latino. More after the break. Julia and David, as we've been talking about a struggle over power is really what's at the center of the L.A. Council's latest debacle. But council members recently voted on two reform measures that could dilute their own power. Uh, Julia, what are those measures and why would they do something like that? This brings us back to the two things we were speaking about at the top of the podcast. The push to potentially make redistricting independent and the push to potentially increase the size of the L.A. City Council. What council did when they voted on it was a very initial step. They essentially did the procedural equivalent of saying, hey, I'm interested in this, go find out more about it and then report back to us. What they would have to do to move these things forward is go through a number of hoops in order to get it on the 2024 ballot, which would then send the questions to the voters to decide. So if those measures pass, David, how much does a power dynamic in Los Angeles change? I think that's a hard thing to answer because right now each council district's about 260,000 people. Even if it's 130,000 people, that's still quite a bit of power. Parallel to all this, I don't know if you noticed, but like at the state level, they're doing more and more things to actually take power over real estate development away from the council. Yeah. And the funny thing to me is like if anything really diminishes their power in that very moneyed arena, I think those kind of changes are the ones that will diminish their status and power. Finally, for the both of you, we think of the presidency in the United States as a pinnacle of democracy, but local politics is what tends to truly govern our lives. So how damaging do each of you see what's happened in L.A. City Hall, everything we've talked about today, to people's faith in their local representatives? Because on one hand, everyone that I know is sickened by what's going on in L.A., even if they're not in L.A., but they're also paying attention to things like redistricting and other topics in a way I've never seen. So maybe that's a reason to hope people will be more engaged in politics and democracy, at least. I mean, we haven't really polled the public on the council itself. You know what I mean? So I don't think we have a precise 
sense of the voters' views of their own representatives. I would say before the audio, it was kind of split. So, I mean, in June, which was our primary here in L.A., you had three incumbents, Bob Blumenfeld, Monica Rodriguez, Curran Price. They all easily won re-election. And in fact, Curran Price, he is a black councilman who represents a four-fifths Latino district. And on the audio, you hear Nuri Martinez, you know, working hard to try and protect him and make sure he wins re-election. It's, it's a really major facet of that audio. On the other hand, Gil Cedillo lost in June, as Julia mentioned. Mitch O'Farrell is obviously in great political peril. Julia, does this cleanse democracy and we'll all be better for it? <laughs> I didn't know this was a comedy podcast. <laughs> um, we try. I mean, I think people are really depressed about the state of the city right now. There, There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of pain. But I think in some ways it's also been galvanizing. I don't think a lot of Angelinos knew who Nuri Martinez was before the league. I think it's gotten a lot more people paying attention to LA City Council, as you mentioned. And I also think that too has been part of a years-long kind of trend of people paying more attention to LA City Council. I think starting in 2020 with both the pandemic and the George Floyd protests, both of which put in different ways a huge amount of light on the functions of local government, the pandemic with restrictions and the George Floyd protests with police funding, we saw kind of a whole new generation of people, and generation isn't the right word because they were all different ages, although many were young, kind of start really closely following LA City Hall and calling into meetings and organizing. And so I imagine that it will further catalyze that, but that's something we've been seeing over the course of a couple of years. David Zonizer. Julia Wick, thank you so much for this conversation and keep up the great work. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. And that's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Denise Guerra and David Toledo were the jefes on this episode. Hiba El Urbani edited it, and Mario Diaz mixed and mastered it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmina Aguilera, Shawnee Hilton, and Hiba El Urbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. And we're building a Dia de los Muertos audio altar this year and would love to include your memories of your loved ones. Call 619-800-0717 and leave us a voicemail with your own ofrendas. Tell us who you are, where you live, and then tell us a great story about a friend, a family member, someone dear to you who has passed on and joined the ancestors. We want to air an entire episode with those stories around Day of the Dead. Thanks in advance. And again, the number is 619-800-0717. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Friday with all the news in this matter. Gracias. <laughs>